It lays the predicate and the foundation for the development of a weather satellite that will permit man to determine the world's cloud layer and ultimately to control the weather and he who controls the weather will control the world. These are indeed strange days on planet Earth. Will the man in the street ever feel that freedom of the mind is as important and as much in need of being defended as his daily bread? A society becomes totalitarian when its structure becomes flagrantly artificial. That is, when its ruling class has lost its function, but still succeeds in clinging to power by force or fraud. That's a timeless quote from Orwell. Traumatized populations, wave after wave, psychologically wearing them down, beating them into submission and compliance until the moment of impact. Far too many are still trying to convince themselves that the tidal wave of converging threats that looms over us all is just, quote, alarmism. Question, is such a conclusion based on data and statistics or just think-happy-thoughts belief systems? The answer is clear for any that conduct objective research. Collapsology. How many have ever heard this word? The term collapsology is a neologism, a recent term used to designate the transdisciplinary study of the risks of collapse of industrial civilization. Collapsology is concerned with the general collapse of societies induced by climate change, scarcity of resources, vast extinctions, and natural disasters, which aren't so natural anymore, are they? Although the concept of civilizational or societal collapse has already existed for a very long time, collapsology focuses its attention on contemporary industrial and globalized societies. Unlike traditional trajectories of thought and conclusions from spiritual institutions based on various texts and beliefs, from throughout the ages, collapsology is based on data and concepts from contemporary scientific research, primary human understanding of climate change or climate collapse, which is the correct science term for what's unfolding now, as caused by human, economic, and geopolitical systems. It's not in line with the idea of a cosmic, apocalyptic, end-of-the-world scenario, but makes the hypothesis of the end of the human current world, thermal industrial civilization, a.k.a. the Anthropocene, the age of man. There you have it. That's collapsology. As simple as understanding that once you crash through the guardrail and are hurling through the air, it's too late to put on the brakes. The ride to the bottom of the canyon is inevitable at that point, such is the case for the inhabitants of our dying planet. This is Dane Wigington with geoengineeringwatch.org. You're listening to the weekly installment of Global Alert News, the end of the world as we know it broadcast, commercial-free, non-political, and covering the most dire and immediate threats we collectively face. On that note, new from Climate Action Australia, the progress illusion. From that report, we live under the illusion of progress. As long as global domestic product is going up and prices stay low, we as societies accept poverty and pollution as unfortunate but inevitable byproducts of so-called successful economies. In fact, the infallibility of the free market and the perceived necessity of endless growth 
are so ingrained in public consciousness that they seem like scientific fact to many. The same individuals often say that they just need to elect their candidate to office. And they actually believe that that will fix everything. What about, quote, freedom and democracy, the grand facade, while we're all being sprayed like lab rats from above with ongoing climate intervention operations, highly toxic. And about the illusion of free speech. This headline from this week, Google and YouTube invest 12 million in global, quote, fact-checking media network. From that report, the money is part of a 13.5 million grant the tech companies awarded to the International Fact-Checking Network. All should know what the function of the so-called fact-checkers are by now. Their job is to censor any information that doesn't conform to official narratives. The U.S. government publicly demonizes other superpower countries while behind the scenes colluding and cooperating with them on climate engineering. It can't be otherwise. It isn't otherwise. One country can't conduct climate intervention operations without impacting the entire world's weather. The behind-the-curtain collusion and cooperation between major powers is further confirmed by Senate and government documents posted at geoengineeringwatch.org, some up to 800 pages long. An examination of global water vapor maps, or loops, this week especially was beyond alarming. There were no natural patterns anywhere in the world. All is tainted by the nonstop climate engineering insanity. The entire top of the world is cocooned in climate engineering aerosol-tainted cloud canopy. At the bottom of the world, the same. Covert climate intervention operations can be and are being used and utilized to temporarily and toxically cool vast expanses of Earth's surface. But at what cost overall? Here's example consequences. First, the short-term toxic cooldowns come at the cost of an even worse overall warming. Destruction of the ozone layer, an existential threat in and of itself. Total disruption of the hydrological cycle, i.e. the global rain cycle. And a ubiquitous contamination of the entire planet. But the climate engineers are still pretending that climate engineering is a miraculous silver bullet technology that can save us from ourselves. Listen carefully to this recent short audio excerpt by the world's most recognized geoengineer, Dr. David Keith. Here it is. Two sides of the coins around solar geoengineering. Of course, the coin really has more than two sides, but let me first give you just a two-sided version of this. So, if you think that we've got our belief about whether solar geoengineering works or doesn't, of course it's not actually binary, but it's useful to think about it that way. And we have reality of whether it works or fails. What I think almost everybody who thinks about this topic is sensibly worried about is overconfidence. As we're worried that we're going to think that it works, proceed to kind of make policy assuming that it works, and find that it really doesn't work. I think that's a completely valid risk. There's no question there's a possibility of that over. Dr. Keith's manner of speaking is often difficult to understand as he tends to taper his voice off to nothing at the end of his statements. But what did he just say? That there's a possibility that climate engineering won't work. As if it hasn't been fully deployed for over 75 years already with catastrophic results for all life on Earth. Keith continues. But I think in, in thinking about it, and the reason to draw this diagram is people often think only about overconfidence. And don't think enough about the converse risk. And the converse risk is very real. So 
the converse risk is underconfidence. The converse risk is that we assume that solar geoengineering doesn't work, so we ignore it. And then we find out, say, in 2050, of course, it's not really binary. I'm just giving you this in a simple binary. We find out in 2050 that it really would have worked pretty well. Not perfectly, but that it would have allowed massive reductions in actual risks, like mortality risk from, from heat or risk to ecosystems. And then we sort of imagine our kids or grandkids looking back from 2050 or 2075 saying, wow, the biases of, of ignoring this meant that we lost the opportunity to really save millions of lives. I think that's a valid risk as well. And I think the issue is how to think about these two risks. So obviously, the happy answer is that we correctly assess that it doesn't work and it actually doesn't, or we correctly assess that it works and it doesn't. But, but I think the key issue is that, that if you think about overconfidence, which is, I think, in a healthy way, what everybody thinks about first, don't forget that there really is an issue of underconfidence, of underusing technologies that really could potentially have reduced risk in material ways. So... Dr. Keith's final statement summary that we may make the mistake of underusing technology, i.e. climate control or rather climate disruption. Dr. Keith, who is climate engineering actually serving and for what actual purpose, what objective, what agenda? Any that still believe that the global controllers are waging weather warfare to make life better for populations needs to rethink their perception of reality. And how many baselessly believe that the climate engineering claims have been, quote, debunked? This kind of conclusion comes from those that never investigated. They just parroted the claims from the so-called international fact-checking network. Such people ignore their own sense of sight and reason in exchange for officially sanctioned deception and pacification. Finding some online site that says a dire subject has been, quote, debunked is not a valid reason to deny without objective investigation. So how is the weather? Engineered winter continues with constant winter weather whack-a-mole, toxic surface cool-downs being manipulated between rapid rebound warm-ups. More on the chemical ice nucleation core component of climate engineering coming up, but here's two examples from this week from thewatchers.org. China hit by strongest cold wave since 1987. That report states the weather in northern China has changed dramatically, i.e. from hot to cold, at the end of last week, leaving at least seven people dead and hundreds of thousands of livestock stranded after exceptionally cold temperatures. Again, from out of nowhere, the winter weather whiplash. Another example from 7news.com Australia. Queensland, New South Wales temperatures to remain cool for days after quote, very unusual start to summer. From that report, meteorologists are reaching for the record books after a, quote, very unusual start to the new season. Based on precipitation testing, current calculations indicate that there is likely 60 to 70 million tons of highly toxic nanoparticles being sprayed into global skies annually from climate intervention operations. With that in mind, where are much of those elements ending up? Here's more puzzle pieces from AccuWeather this week. This headline is eating snow dangerous question mark. That report states things could be found in snow, including salt and chemicals used to melt snow on roads and sidewalks. Fur, they say, bacteria, urine and stool. Smoke fumes and exhaust could be lingering in the snow, they say. Dirt and microbes, chemicals from snow removal, animal debris. They then say children have gotten sick from eating snow. 
Let's stop for a moment to consider all these statements. This report, of course, completely ignores climate engineering contamination, but warns us not to eat snow from places that no even slightly conscious person would eat it from anyway. How many choose to eat snow from the roadside or yellow snow, etc.? Yet global testing has long since proven that the snow from every conceivable location on the planet is contaminated, including the North Pole, South Pole, and the top of Mount Everest. Many of the elements identified in this contamination are climate engineering elements. The report continues with this. Kids getting unusual bacterial infections that were traced back to the environment and assumed to be connected to eating snow off the ground. The AccuWeather report then states, someone who eats a large amount of snow or snow with a large amount of contamination could be very sick. They say if you have ingested snow, it is important to let your doctor know so that they can run the appropriate tests. Stop and consider what this AccuWeather report just stated, that if we ingest snow, we should, in essence, take the same steps as we would if we were poisoned. That's the world we live in. Here's a report from the weathernetwork.com. They seem to think toxic snow is funny. Here's their headline. Quote, snow laughing matter, why you should never eat snow. No, not funny. Living in a toxic fishbowl that's killing us all is not funny. Another headline, same theme from prevention.com. Is it safe to eat snow? Doctors explain possible side effects. Think of the insanity of all this. Another one from yahoo.com. Can you eat snow? Here's what science tells us, and that report states this. The short answer is no, you shouldn't eat snow. Chemical ice nucleation for weather modification, i.e. engineered winter, is so core to all of this. Search the engineering winter section on the homepage of geoengineeringwatch.org. Help us to expose this core part of climate engineering, that geoengineeringwatch.org is the only source attempting desperately to disclose. We need help doing so. Next question, where's all the trillions coming from to pay for the climate engineering Manhattan project that's being carried out in our skies? From the hill.com this week, Defense Department fails another audit. From that report, the Defense Department has failed its fifth ever audit, unable to account for more than half its assets. The report then states, after 1,600 auditors combed through the DOD's $3.5 trillion in assets and $3.7 trillion in liabilities, and I think these numbers are low by about 1,000%, I'll get to that, officials found that the department couldn't account for about 61% of its assets, which include nearly 2.9 million military personnel, equipment, and weapons, including 19,700 aircraft. That's quite a bit to lose, isn't it? And more than 290 ships and physical items, including buildings, roads, and fences on 4,860 sites worldwide. That's definitely called empire. But as I just mentioned, is the Hill.com article only telling a small fraction of the truth? Let's rewind to this 2020 headline from Yahoo.com. The Pentagon's $35 trillion accounting black hole. And that is corroborated by the most sites, $35 trillion, not $3.5. So is the Pentagon's missing $3.5 trillion actually 10 times more? Is it $35 trillion? The truth is that we'll never know the real total because the private bankers that print the money, literally, can manufacture as much money as they want from thin air. They own militaries, thus countries. But the Ponzi scheme only works 
until biosphere collapse brings the party to an abrupt end. That time is here and unfolding by the day. On the subject of total societal domination from MSN.com, a central bank digital currency is humanity's worst nightmare. From that report, the central banks are preparing to replace all physical funds with a digital currency, the CBDC, that's a central bank digital currency. If they're allowed to accomplish this, it will give them full control over humanity as they can monitor every transaction you make, limit what you can spend, and even delete your funds at will. Question, how many have any idea how the matrix works and what they have planned as biosphere collapse unfolds and accelerates? Here's more to consider from this week, another headline of unfolding collapse. Math of electric vehicles at odds with America's power grid. From that report, America's aging electric grid is desperately in need of an upgrade. It can't and won't keep up with the incoming electrical demands of low carbon living. And by the way, most are already figuring out that electrical everything isn't low carbon living. The report continues, a recent study by National Grid found that an electric vehicle revolution would unsurprisingly lead to a significant increase in electrical demand along highway corridors. Things are so dire to the mid-continent independent system operator, the outfit responsible for overseeing the Midwest electric grid. They have said that demand for electricity has already outstripped the creation of supply. That's just one example. And of course, there's the fact that, again, carbon fuel electrical generating facilities are producing the electricity for the electric cars. So what are they actually doing for the environment? And there's the third world child labor slaves digging up the elements used in electric vehicle batteries. Another point that electric vehicle advocates don't want to talk about. On the subject of going hungry, it's a fate that will soon enough be faced by all of us, short of a complete course correction by our species. In addition to countless forms of human activity degrading soils and waters all over the world, climate intervention operations also continue to target crop production. And there are still more factors further adding to the food production collapse. From numerous sources this week, Netherlands to close up to 3,000 farms to comply with EU rules. From that report, government tries to cut down on nitrogen pollution, they say, in a move to reignite tensions with farmers who say the industry is unfairly targeted. That point's certainly true in many ways. I publicly presented climate engineering data to the California Air Resources Board in front of a room full of farmers that were forced to buy new lower emissions farm equipment while the California Air Resources Board admitted to me publicly in front of the farmers that they, the board, ignore the climate engineering particle pollution because that isn't in their jurisdiction. Again, while the farmers are being forced to buy new equipment, for particle pollution that is perhaps one one hundred thousandth of what the climate engineers are dumping into our skies. This is criminal. All of it. Next, more brilliant breakthroughs from the so-called climate science community from phys.org. This headline from this week, Animals are key to restoring the world's forests. Long-term data set reveals. A new report uncovers a powerful yet largely overlooked driver of forest recovery. Animals. This is more brilliance from the so-called science community. Their statement is like stating if everything wasn't dying, everything wouldn't be dying. So much for so-called science, which is increasingly anything 
butt science about the dying animals. Another headline from this week. Hungry bears are getting desperate in Montana. From that report, a poor berry crop in forests is driving black bears into urban areas. A hot summer may be to blame. The bears are starving, not just black bears, but all bears, including, of course, polar bears. In fact, search starving polar bears online. Look at the images and videos. If what you see doesn't move you to the marrow, if it doesn't overwhelm you with pity and compassion, something's wrong with you. Though looking at the polar bear images inflicts deep, deep pain for me, I will not turn away. I will never forget their plight. All of us should remember and consider that if the human race remains on the current course, the fate of the polar bears will soon be ours. Think about that while viewing those images. A desperate small black bear recently managed to break into an almost 10-foot high steel storage container I have. This bear scaled a 9.5-foot steel wall at the corner of the container, tore off a roof vent, and miraculously managed to squeeze himself through a 13-inch wide circular hole. I still can't believe it, but he did it. Even more unbelievable, he managed to make it out of the container by standing on a high shelf and pulling himself back through the hole. All of it breaks my heart. There's almost no acorns. Most of the five species of oak in my region are dying. They're not producing. There were almost no manzanita berries, another foundational food source for all forest dwellers in Northern California and other regions. There were almost no blackberries, few insects, few birds. Silent forest soon to be silent world. If more of the human race doesn't wake up and step up to do their part to expose and halt the insanity, it will very soon be game over. Species extinction rate today, 15,000 times the background rate, fully a million and a half percent of quote normal. And the masses are still waving sports banners, gulping down beer and pizza and pretending that their chosen political puppet candidate will save them from what's coming. About insanity, here's another example. And yes, there are countless forms of self-destructive human behavior. Though highly toxic climate intervention operations are at the top of the list, there is much, much more. What is the true price of a gallon of gas? From Mother Jones Journal, Mounting scientific evidence rekindles fracking health concerns. From that report, there's a growing evidence of a correlation between the industry's activities and an array of health problems ranging from childhood cancer. This is a follow-up on previous stories I've given on this broadcast. And the premature death of elderly people from respiratory and endocrine disruption issues. Children living near Pennsylvania wells that use fracking to harvest natural gas are two to three times more likely to contract a form of childhood leukemia, covered that in previous broadcasts, than their peers who live further away. Cocktails of chemicals injected a mile or more underground to crack open gas-burning fissures and shale threaten underground supplies. It doesn't threaten it. It completely contaminates it forever. With more than 17.6 million people living within a mile of a fracked oil or gas well, the result, says the report, is a public health crisis. What about the crisis in our skies? Again, we're talking about 8 billion people exposed to what's being dumped into our skies that cannot be escaped from. No matter where you live, no matter where you try to hide, we are all breathing these nanoparticles in with every single breath we take. 
back to the grand finale of the carbon fuel carnival of insanity, which for the record, the power structure is using to fuel geoengineering jets as they relentlessly spray the entire planet. And even so, how many are clamoring for cheaper gas in spite of the unseen and unmentioned costs to anyone and everyone, including themselves? From Bloomberg.com, U.S. to auction almost 1 million acres in Alaska for oil drilling. The Biden administration plans to offer hundreds of thousands of acres off the coast of Alaska for new oil and gas drilling next month. In the words of Sarah Palin, drill baby drill. Perhaps they think there's no point in not drilling since all the marine life is almost dead anyway. And the Navy's war games contributing to that as they have, quote, permits to kill millions of mammals as if there's millions left. Circus of insanity. From Politico.com, this Biden gives Chevron permit to restart Venezuelan oil sales. So much for the demonization of Venezuela, not that it had any merit in the first place. And a quick reminder from just last year, this headline from the Center for Biological Diversity, lawsuit filed after Biden opens 80 million acres in the Gulf of Mexico for oil drilling. Earth Justice filed the lawsuit in federal court in the District of Columbia on behalf of Healthy Gulf, Sierra Club, Friends of the Earth, and the Center for Biological Diversity. Yes, all the tax-exempt environmental hypocrisy organizations that continue to deny climate engineering on behalf of Big Brother government, scratching each other's back, so to speak. That's how the game is played. More global headlines of weather whiplash, a combination of climate engineering and planetary meltdown. From BBC, UK weather prompts second spring due to mild November weather. Flash winter weather whiplash chemical cloud seeding operations likely coming for the UK soon. From AccuWeather, temperature swings, fast-moving storms remain in the forecast for the Northeast. The report states, quote, quick-hitting storms will continue to dart across the northern tier of the U.S. Does that sound like natural weather to anyone? Winter storms that dart around? That's climate engineering and chemical ice nucleation, any place they can find moisture and create a surface cool down, that's exactly what they're doing. From AccuWeather, New York City winter forecast. AccuWeather calling for more snow than last year. Again, AccuWeather is simply reading a script for the scheduled weather given to them by climate engineering contractors like Raytheon and Lockheed Martin. They say the month of November brought big swings in temperature, rounds of chill and warmth that each lasted for several days at a time. They then state, Meteorological winter started on Thursday this week, but prolonged waves of Arctic air and the chance for nor'easters may not arrive until after the start of the new year. They then say, how much longer will temperatures keep flip-flopping? Here's the answer to that question. For as long as climate intervention operations are allowed to continue. Earlier this week, nearly the entire continental U.S. was covered in rainless aerosolized cloud canopy. A zonal stream of Pacific moisture was being bombarded with climate engineering, jet aircraft, chemical ice nucleating operations. In essence, a massive chemical cooling conveyor robbing desperately needed rain from the West. On that note, back to the engineered drought catastrophe, Target California. Search that title for a nearly decade-old public presentation I gave that accurately described what would and did happen it had to happen if climate engineering operations 
weren't exposed and halted. From Yahoo News, California cities brace for water cuts in a fourth year of drought. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA, predicted in October that the alarmingly dry conditions in the U.S. are likely to continue. For the record, again, not just a fourth year of drought, the 15th year of drought, statistically the worst in at least 1,200 years, conservatively. But wait, are the climate engineers going to save the day after all? This headline from this week, pair of storms to drop significant rain and heavy snow in California. The report says the inches of rain and feet of mountain snow will put a big check mark, they say, in the positive column for long-term drought. They say large portions of the western United States continue to experience moderate to exceptional drought conditions. The extent and magnitude of the rain and mountain snow that the storm unfurls from Sunday to Monday are still questionable. What questionable means is that they don't have the updated script on the scheduled weather, subject to change at any given hour. And as far as putting a check mark in the drought, first storm dropped a whopping three quarters of an inch of rain on the east side of Lake Shasta. Such storms in the past would drop at least 10 times that much. But yet, if they put out these sensationalized headlines and a little bit of rain falls, the public goes back to sleep and tells themselves, Everything's fine now when it's anything but my location in the east side of Lake Shasta again since 2007, over 500 inches of rain short. That doesn't get erased by three quarters of an inch of rain that comes through. It's complete absurdity. The so-called climate science community, nothing but actors to cover the tracks of the climate engineers and the criminal controllers they work for. Next headline, numerous sources. Arizona communities at epicenter of water crisis. This is an ongoing story. Again, America's West is experiencing the worst drought in at least 1,200 years. The Colorado River is at record lows, threatening the livelihoods of 40 million people who rely on the river for water. The party's definitely over. On that note, and looking toward the top of the world, few yet understand how critical the polar regions are to our near-term survival. From theguardian.com this week, melting point could, quote, cloud brightening slow the thawing of the Arctic, question mark. The report says the climate emergency is prompting some scientists to suggest extreme measures, but whether you call it geoengineering or biomimicry, others feel interfering with nature will have too high a cost. Too high a cost? No, wrong terms. Playing God with the weather for purposes of power and control will soon extract the ultimate cost for all of us. There is an exceptional music video highlighting the destruction of the Arctic by a band called 30 Seconds to Mars. This music video is available online for free. It's titled, It's a Beautiful Lie. Search it, view it, consider it. Again, 30 Seconds to Mars, It's a Beautiful Lie. From TheEconomist.com, America's Defense Department is looking for rogue geoengineers. Really. For the record, if the Pentagon is looking for rogue geoengineers, they need to look no further than the nearest mirror. Under the subject of, let's all keep pretending the climate engineering elephant in the sky isn't really there. From earlier this year, more than 60 senior climate scientists and governance scholars from around the world launched a global initiative calling for an international non-use agreement on solar geoengineering. More than 360 scholars, the report says now, support the call for a non-use agreement. 
They say solar geoengineering deployment cannot be fairly governed globally and poses unacceptable risk if implemented as a future climate policy option. They then say, quote, we call on our fellow academicians, civil society, organizations, and concerned individuals to sign our open letter to governments, the United Nations, and other actors to stop development and potential use of planetary scale solar geoengineering technologies. Again, what kind of scientists pretend this isn't going on? They're either criminally negligent of the field in which we are told they're experts or they're lying. Take your pick. They say our initiative mobilizes especially against the most widely debated speculative technology, the massive spraying of aerosols in the stratosphere, which is really in the troposphere, to block part of the incoming sunlight to cool the planet. Such dangerous planetary scale interventions cannot be governed in a globally inclusive, fair and effective manner and must be banned, they say. They continue, therefore we call on international non-use agreements for solar geoengineering. An international non-use agreement on solar geoengineering would be timely, feasible, and effective. It would inhibit further normalization and development of a risky and poorly understood set of technologies. For the record, these scientists pretending that climate engineering isn't already raging in our skies doesn't help the cause of actually exposing and halting the insanity in our skies. They continue with this, an international non-use agreement on solar geoengineering must include at least five core measures and commitments. They are, quote, no public funding, too late. Next, no outdoor experiments, too late. No patents, too late. No deployment, over 75 years, too late. No support in international institutions, way, way late. That's what the whole COP conferences are about. On that subject, more smoke and mirrors facade from job1forhumanity.org. The dirty secrets behind the gargantuan failure of the 2022 COP27 International Climate Conference. From that report, the many COP conferences have done a great job of draining the legitimate climate fear, anxiety, and anger of world citizens by creating cleverly underestimated solutions, hopes, by making global citizens believe that enough progress is being made to keep them safe from the coming climate chaos when the exact opposite is true. They continue, to add further insult to injury, the COP28 conference, the next one coming up, has been scheduled for the United Arab Emirates. That's exactly what future COP conferences needed to reduce their credibility even further. Scheduling the next COP International Climate Conference in a petro-nation that depends almost 100% on carbon fuel exports for its finances is beyond irrational. It's beyond hypocritical and openly informs the world who is paying the bills and controlling the message. Once again, as I've tried to make clear on many previous broadcasts, the COP conferences are nothing more than smoke, mirrors, delusion, and deception, a theater of lies designed to pacify populations while keeping business as usual till the brutal bitter end. Forcing countries to cooperate with the climate engineering insanity is the actual agenda behind closed doors at these conferences. And how many believe that the climate environmental collapse scenario is just a made-up narrative to install fear? I have desperately been trying to sound the alarm for over two decades. Over the last decade and a half, that effort was with geoengineeringwatch.org. I have received messages from some that say, quote, nothing's happened over all that time. And such statements are truly perplexing to me. Nothing has happened? What's that mean exactly? Does it mean that because Walmart and Costco are still expanding, McDonald's is still selling Big Macs, that everything is fine? Let's take a moment to examine 
what's unfolded over the last few decades and radically accelerated over the past 20 years. Plankton populations crashing all over the world. The ozone layer is disintegrating. Fisheries are collapsing around the world. Crops are collapsing around the world. Insect populations have crashed 80 to 90% globally. That's terrestrial and aquatic insects. Global wildlife populations have crashed by 80%. Species extinction rates, again, as already covered, 15,000 times the normal background rate. Multiple nuclear reactors are in an advanced, uncontrolled, total meltdown scenario. Power structures around the world are completely out of control. They're more desperate and dangerous than ever before. Thermonuclear war looms on the horizon. Several dozen countries are already unraveling into chaos and collapse. The rest will soon follow. But everything's fine because we can still buy Big Macs. That's what some people think. Let's talk about near-term extinction for a moment. Environmental overshoot and perpetual war. Here's a short statement to consider from Kirk Hamilton. The first of two important genetic traits that predispose humans to environmental overshoot and war is limited intelligence. We are clever as a species, but not very smart. As a species, individually and in groups, we comprehensively believe that we are much more intelligent than we actually are. The second most important factor leading to environmental overshoot and war is the evolved genetic trait for hierarchical social programming at all levels. This trait naturally occurs and has actually been part of our genetic makeup for millions of years. It has never weakened during our long evolution from primitive prehistorical ape societies to our present violent ape-like state of being. In conclusion, Homo sapiens have always been doomed to an evolutionary dead end. Genetically crippled and unable to stop the production of unnecessary suffering caused by overshoot and war. Will this be the final chapter of the human race or can we still make a difference even at this late hour? There's only one way to find out. You're listening to the weekly installment of Global Alert News, the Bad News Broadcast, installment number 382, December 3rd, 2022. This is Dane Wigington, your host. Global Alert News is brought to you by geoengineeringwatch.org, the largest and most visited website in the world on the subject of climate intervention operations known as geoengineering. The commercial-free, non-political Global Alert News Hour is now broadcast on AM and FM stations in Florida, Texas, two stations in San Francisco, Sacramento, San Diego, two Colorado stations including Denver, Portland, Phoenix, Pittsburgh, Santa Cruz, San Bernardino, Washington State, Alabama, New York, two stations in the far north of California, and now in North and South Carolina. Geoengineering Watch wishes to express our deepest gratitude to those that have helped us to expand our reach and our voice in this desperate last hour effort to sound the alarm. On that subject, if you're on our email list, please put us on your email contact book so that our mail-outs don't go to spam files. Please help us to share the groundbreaking documentary, The Dimming, which fully exposes the climate engineering atrocities, now with over 1 million views on YouTube. The best way to share is by circulating the direct link to The Dimming by email directly from the homepage of geoengineeringwatch.org. Sharing directly helps us to overcome social media censorship. When viewing our YouTube of The Dimming or Global Alert News or any other Geoengineering Watch video on YouTube, please subscribe, share, and comment, all of which helps us to circulate critically important data to a much wider audience about reaching those that still aren't looking up. Geoengineering Watch awareness raising materials can be found on our homepage. Our only goal 
to provide activists what they need to move this fight forward. There's very high quality printed materials and just added climate engineering conversation starters. Our new Geoengineering Watch shirts with very high quality four color images on both sides of the shirts. Scannable business cards and bumper stickers. All effective tools to help strike up a conversation on the climate engineering issue. And that's how you plant a seed of awareness. Doing so is the first and most important leap we can make toward getting the as-of-yet uninformed to start looking up. Waking the masses to the climate engineering onslaught is the great imperative. If we can expose it, we can stop it from the inside out. If you want to share a picture of you wearing a geoengineering watch shirt, perhaps at a gym, farmer's market, busy street downtown, etc., please send us your photo so that we can post it as part of our activist compilation, which is now part of our materials page. The images encourage others to make their voices heard in this all-important battle to sound the alarm. Moving on. The Western military-industrial complex facade of freedom and democracy. NATO isn't a defense alliance. It never was. Rather, it is a tool of U.S. colonial domination. Consider the following statement from General Smedley Butler in 1935. He said, quote, I spent 33 years in active military service, and during that period, I spent most of my time as a high-class muscle man for big business, for Wall Street, and for the bankers. In short, I was a racketeer, a gangster for capitalism. That's the part that the U.S. military has long since played, the muscle for the banksters that run the planet. Again, this reminder, the U.S. military is the largest single-source polluter on Earth. Humans versus nature, our long and destructive journey to the age of extinction. From Climate Action Australia, Horn of Africa, extreme drought deepens hunger in a region beset by conflict. The World Food Program is working with governments on the front lines of the region's climate crisis as millions struggle to eat. Across the Horn of Africa, in Ethiopia, Kenya, and Somalia, 22 million people currently face a severe hunger crisis after four consecutive failed rainy seasons. The report then says, alarmingly, this figure is expected to increase with a fifth poor rainy season forecast by the end of the year. Again, this is the scheduled weather. The report says the drought has resulted in unimaginable suffering amid the traditional nomadic population lands, which have sustained for generations. They are gradually collapsing due to erratic climate patterns. Extreme food and water scarcity have killed about 7 million livestock across the Horn of Africa. Approximately 3.9 million children are severely malnourished in Ethiopia alone. How can people just go about their lives when this is happening, pretending it isn't happening? How do so many just go about their lives pretending climate engineering isn't happening in our skies? For the record, weather warfare has been used for decades in Africa, bringing countries and populations to their knees and forcing them to allow U.S. military bases. Again, I ask, how many in first world nations are completely focused on their nonstop personal pursuit of pleasure and material gain? Football games, beer, pizza, Caribbean cruises, while tens of millions are starving around the world, soon to be hundreds of millions, and after that, billions. Worse, so many of the oppressed and starving nations have had their resources stolen by tyrannical empires, with America at the top of the list. Here's the math to back up that statement. America is 5% of the world population, but we use 25% of the world's resources extracted from other countries at gunpoint under the guise of freedom and democracy. That's how it works. 
Covert climate engineering operations are also core to this equation, creating devastating drought and deluge scenarios, destabilizing populations and governments, moving the U.S. military under the guise of humanitarian operations, set up a U.S. military base, and stay forever. That's how the U.S. empire ends up with some 800 military bases all over the world on everybody's border or in their backyard. How many eyes wide shut, self-proclaimed patriotic Americans have any idea whatsoever about what pain and suffering that is being inflicted on other nations in order to keep the U.S. population partying and pacified until the last possible moment. Not many have any stomach for the truth. Most run from it, but not for much longer. There's nowhere to hide. The entire ship is going down, a.k.a. planet Earth. Here's one more example of the not-so-pleasant acts of empire, the global environmental cataclysm of nearly 700 wells being set ablaze in Kuwait, turning day to night as skies filled with an incomprehensible amount of highly toxic smoke. Who torched the wells? U.S. Special Forces. The empire needed the catastrophe as a catalyst to import U.S. oil-grabbing corporations like Halliburton and my former employer, Bechtel Power. Back to Biosphere Collapse. More new reports, this one from msn.com. This week, thousands of wild birds dead across Oregon. Bird flu outbreak blamed. The report states the outbreak of highly pathogenic avian flu in both wild birds and backyard flocks has killed thousands of birds throughout the state. Sick birds act like they are drunk. They're uncoordinated and lethargic. They shake, swim in circles, and fly into the sides of houses. Those that show symptoms usually die within 72 hours. This year may prove even deadlier than other outbreaks. The birds did not stop getting sick this summer in the Pacific Northwest. They continued to die during the hottest months and well into the fall, an anomaly to how the virus usually operates. The species currently most affected are cackling geese, but the disease is also killing numerous snow geese, bald eagles, hawks, owls, herons. Avian flu is 100% fatal. The pathogens just keep coming on every front, don't they? Next, bark beetle infestation warning. Yes, official sources are still blaming the beetles for dying and dead forests around the world. The beetles are only a symptom. Search geoengineering and the dying of the trees to learn more. A reminder of this National Geographic report from earlier this year, which is certainly coming true. The drought in the western U.S. could last until 2030. That's literally the scheduled weather for the U.S. West. But if climate engineering continues, that date won't matter. None of us likely be here. Next headline, nature strikes back. The world underwater, Nigeria, Pakistan, Philippines, Thailand, Vietnam, Australia, Italy, and other countries. No, not nature striking back. That's weather warfare being waged. From futurism.com, scientists increasingly call to dim the sun. The report says the idea of solar geoengineering or shooting untold dollars worth of particles into the stratosphere to reduce the warming of the sun has long since been seen as a last resort for tackling a growing climate crisis. They say despite plenty of opposition to the idea of meddling with the entire ecosystem at once, an increasing number of scientists are starting to seriously study the possibility. No, it's just tinfoil hat stuff, right? Describing everything we see in the sky... With the exact elements named in climate engineering patents showing up on the ground, the exact results, destroyed ozone layer, disrupted hydrological cycle, blotted out, featureless, filthy-looking skies, trails that expand and linger for hours. Everything they describe is happening, and yet we're told we're not seeing what we're seeing. And we're the tinfoil hat-wearing people, not them. Really? 
The report says just last month, the White House announced a five-year research plan to study geoengineering, a sign that the idea has moved out of the realm of science fiction amidst a period of rapidly rising temperatures and failed climate targets. They continue, even with an almost complete halt on the use of fossil fuels, carbon fuels, humanity is headed towards catastrophe. No, not headed toward. It is inevitable at this point. They say that kind of bleak outlook has more and more researchers turning to investigate geoengineering as a potential last resort. Yeah, let's jump from the frying pan into the fire. That'll fix everything. The report then states, we're only starting to understand the possible side effects, particularly on a global scale. They continue, we believe there's no governance system existing that could decide this and that none is plausible. They finish with this, will there ever be a point where humanity will have to resort to measures as drastic as geoengineering? Question mark. Already done. Collapse is here, with climate engineering operations further fueling the fire. Can the human race still learn from the past? Are we still capable? Consider this report headline, Model of Easter Island Collapse Might Reveal Message for Today. I think so. When a thriving civilization suddenly collapses, it's often a mystery and an ominous one. For Easter Island, approximately 1,000 to 1,400 AD, experts believe it was a case of humans overexploiting their natural resources, most specifically the palm tree as many as 16 million of them, but exactly where do the culturally rich Rapa Nui society go too far? Researchers have recently developed a mathematical model that describes the evolution, the quick rise and fall of Easter Island during its golden age. Their model considers the interaction between natural resources and population and generates a close estimation of the civilization's collapse time, which can be applied to other similar scenarios. Easter Island, about 2,230 miles or 3,600 kilometers off the coast of Chile in the Pacific Ocean was and is one of the most isolated inhabited islands in the world. Unlike most individual societies of today or even in the past, Easter Island can be considered as a closed system. The first settlers were thought to arrive about 400 AD from Polynesian islands to the west. Over the next thousand years, the Rapa Nui people developed a relatively advanced and complex culture. They farmed a variety of crops, built more than a thousand 30-foot-tall moai, that's the stone statues that face out toward the sea, and saw their population increase to at least 7,000. Some archaeologists estimate up to 20,000 inhabitants. But Easter Island's rapid growth also meant that the society was reaching the carrying capacity of its ecosystem. In other words, the Isolated island could no longer support its human inhabitants. The Rapa Nui continued to cut down the island's palm trees, which once covered nearly the entire 160 square kilometer island. They cut them down at a steady rate, completely heedless to the long-term effects. Sound familiar? The civilization's equilibrium point, where humans can coexist with the available natural resources, was surpassed. It was obliterated. From that point, collapse was imminent. By 1225, the island had only half as many palm trees as it once had. By 1400, there were practically none left. Consequently, the population's size quickly reversed its ascent and fell back to less than 2,000 individuals by 1600. Surely they exhausted the most important resource, the trees. At that point, they were forced to change their lifestyles, fighting amongst themselves instead of collaborating. Could collaboration and cooperation amongst the several tribes have changed the final chapter of the evolution of the Easter Island society? We'll never know. In 2015, the controllers seem to have decided that Easter Island was too obvious an example of the track of the human race. So they rewrote the truth with this headline. 
Easter Island's demise may have surprising new explanation. What this means, the report says, is that the people of Easter Island may have been struggling against natural environmental barriers to success rather than degrading the environment themselves. The new study suggests that Easter Island's people were indeed suffering before the Europeans came along. The story of their downfall, however, may be less about environmental degradation than pre-existing environmental constraints. What does that even mean? The two points are inseparable. Pre-existing environmental constraints means that there were not infinite resources on this very finite island. How hard is that to figure out? How many scientists did it take to come up with this miraculous conclusion? That it isn't possible to endlessly expand a population, to endlessly consume finite resources on a finite environment and expect to survive. And in fact, that's exactly what the Easter Islanders did. But now, because this comparison is too clearly parallel to the total insanity of perpetual consumption by industrialized, militarized society, the so-called scientists are pumping out a report of truly Orwellian doublespeak by saying that the Easter Islanders didn't actually destroy their environment, they just didn't have enough environment to keep destroying their environment, as they multiplied out of control. That's the exact same historical conclusion with a different wrapper. I'll say it again. We live in a planetary asylum run by the criminally insane and inhabited by far too many that are all too happy to pretend it's all going to magically work out. Good luck with that. In years now past, I greatly enjoyed being deep in the forest during a rainstorm, under a tarp or in a tent. I relished listening to the life-giving rain, the miracle of real weather, untold millions of tons of water floating through the skies, nourishing the land, the animals, and the trees. And now the forest and all who once lived there are dead or dying. There's no natural weather, none. All is tainted. In my region on the east side of Lake Shasta, instead of nine months of off and on rain throughout the year, it's now two or three months as the climate engineers completely disrupt the Pacific storm track to our west. Not opinion. Satellite image proven fact. The rain that does come, generally later and less than predicted, is toxic, no longer bringing life to the forest, but rather a slow, insidious death. How I long for those days and nights wrapped in my sleeping bag in a shelter of my making in the middle of the trailless wilderness, pitch black in the middle of the night, listening to the rain, the storms, and the wind. The weather terrorists now control it all. It's all different. It's all wrong. The rain is all too often little more than a regulated drizzle, manipulated by cloud seeding operations and radio frequency microwave transmissions and unnaturally cold from the chemical ice nucleation elements being sprayed. In other parts of the world, deadly deluges are the fruit of the climate intervention operations. The silence in the forest surrounding my Northern California off-grid home is now deafening. I have so many times tried to make clear that a critical mass of awareness is the only way forward in this desperate last hour effort to turn the tide. I've tried to make clear that all of us are needed in this battle, but I need to clarify this further. A critical mass of awareness does not yet mean everyone everywhere. It means just enough to tilt the scale in the right direction. History has shown us many times that even a very small but completely awake and committed percentage of the population can alter the entire equation in spite of the majority apathy and ambivalence. When I state that all of us are needed in this desperate battle, those that are part of the us that I speak of already know who they are at their core. They know. The awakened the unyielding, those that refuse to give up, that are committed to doing what is right because it is right. The proverbial 300 from the fabled Battle of Thermopylae that courageously stood their ground against all odds. 
Rapidly unfolding global events will soon force many more to wake up. It's up to the already awake and aware to sow the seeds of awareness. We can make a difference, even at this late hour. Striving to do so is not just an option. It's our absolute obligation to the whole, to the children, to the entire web of life. Passing on credible data from a credible source, sharing the link to the dimming documentary, sharing article links from Geoengineering Watch, sharing Geoengineering Watch printed materials, which can be found on our homepage. Check the activist suggestions link on the homepage of geoengineeringwatch.org to learn specific details on how you can help to move this fight forward. The courageous few can be, must be, the catalyst that awakens the many. Make your voice heard, make every day count. Time is not on our side. Until next week, this is Dane Wigington from geoengineeringwatch.org.